is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. We've been doing a series in our church in, in Brighton called Authentic Church. And we've been looking at the book of Acts. And I think the subject of authenticity is really, really important in these days when there are pseudo so many things. There was a young man who'd done a zoology degree. And when he'd finished and graduated, he wanted to work in the field that he'd been studying. So he went along to the local zoo and he spoke to the head zookeeper uh, to see if there was any jobs. And the head zookeeper said to him, well, I'm really sorry, funds are a bit uh, difficult at the moment. Um, we haven't really got anything. So the young man said, well, I've got a zoology degree. I've really wanted to work in a zoo. So the head zookeeper said to him, well, you're a bit overqualified for this, but there is a job that you could do uh, it's a temporary job. You see, our gorilla has died. And uh, the gorilla is a star attraction. And it's half term coming up and we'll get lots of kids and they'll be very disappointed. So we've got another gorilla that is coming. We've got it on order. But would you dress up in a gorilla suit and just act the part? So he said, well, it isn't exactly what I got qualified for but um, I'll give it my best shot. So he got into the gorilla suit and went into the gorilla pit. And uh, after a couple of days, the head zookeeper came up to him and he said, look, if you're going to dress up in a gorilla suit, you've really got to behave like one. You've got to swing on the tree. You've got to swing on that tire. You've got to enter into the part. So he did that and he got pretty good at it. And after two or three days, he was so good at it, he was swinging, he'd become a bit of a star attraction. Well, after about five or six days, still the real gorilla hadn't turned up. So here he was, kids at half-term, all looking. He was swinging on the tire. He was swinging on the trees. He was running around the gorilla pit. He swung again on the tire, came straight out of the gorilla pit and ended up in the lion pit. So here he is confronted with this huge lion. So he begins to shout, help, help, help. And the lion comes up to him and says, if you don't shut up, mate, we've both got the sack. <laughs> Authenticity is important. That's my spiritual point. <laughs> I love that story. Do you know, I, I had a dry, crusty old physics teacher when I was at school um, it was thoroughly boring, but he once told us that joke, and I've always remembered it. <laughs> well, we're going to look at Authentic Church this morning from the perspective of prayer. And if you'd like to turn to Acts and chapter 4 and uh, pick it up at verse 23. So I'll read through this incident, and then we're going to unpack this great incident that happens very early on in the life of the church. So Pentecost has happened, the Spirit has been outpoured, and the, there have been many, many souls saved. There have been 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and 5,000 a few days later after the uh, healing at the gate of the temple. And we find that this church is making a massive impact on Jerusalem. And there's a, a, a sense of vibrancy and life, and energy coming. But there is also opposition that, that comes. And so the Sanhedrin and the, uh, the officials, the elders of the time, were getting upset because these uh, apostles were preaching in the name of Jesus, whom they had had crucified. And now these apostles were declaring that Jesus was alive, they were preaching the gospel. They were declaring through the power of the Holy Spirit and through all that had happened to them on the day of Pentecost as they were declaring this. So there was this establishing 
of a community. And those early chapters of Acts have got such pace and movement as you read the narrative. Now, some theologically-minded people say that you can't really take doctrine from narrative. I want to say you can take doctrine from narrative because as you read the story, you learn about how God interacts with his people, what God expects of his people, how the people interact with God, and that shows us how we should be. And that is sound doctrine. That's what sound doctrine is all about. Doctrine is not just to satisfy us intellectually, it is to equip us to live our Christian lives. So never get into that kind of thinking. So those that these incidents in the book of Acts, although it's narrative, it's storytelling, it's storytelling which equips us and shows us exactly what church should be like. It's the prototype church. It's the authentic church. But we see that there is an incredible progression from the day of Pentecost that as you read each chapter and as you get caught up in the drama of it and the movement of it, you see that there is a kind of progression until eventually they, we, we get this phrase that these are people who've turned the world upside down. And that's what we're meant to be doing. We're meant to be turning the world upside down. Well, let's read, it, read this story. When they were released, so they'd been in prison, they'd been beaten up, persecuted, put in prison for hailing this man. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. Now I've broken this passage down into three or four different headings so we can put it in a sense, under a microscope and get under what this is actually saying. And the first of these headings is living with prophetic promise. Now, it's very, very important that we don't see the church beginning on the day of Pentecost. The church began in the heart of the Father, Son, and the Spirit before the world began. There was an agreement between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that there would be a people. And God's plan and purpose, as he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, was that they should be a reflection of his glory and that they should extend Eden. The first command was, be fruitful and multiply, tend the garden, extend Eden, and God's presence would be with them as they did it, they were to look after the ground. They were to care for the ground. They were to fulfill a priestly ministry. They were to tend creation. They were to uh, fulfill a prophetic ministry in as much as they were to speak 
the Word of God and declare the Word of God. And they were to operate in a kingly ministry in the sense that they were to rule over the lower order of creation. Now, that was God's perfect plan. And the Bible starts with this whole sense of God having a people and coming into his creation and extending it and making it grow and extend until all the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That was the plan. Now, that's where it all began. Now, the Bible story ends with the completion of what Genesis started in the new heavens and the new earth where the temple of God comes down out of heaven and fills the earth. And I want you to understand that as Christians, we're not going to heaven. Heaven is actually coming to us. Of course, when we die, we will go to heaven. But God's ultimate aim and destiny for us is a new heaven and a new earth in which we will live. And that plan that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis will be ultimately fulfilled. Now, that's the whole of the Bible story. That's what all of the Bible is about. And in this plan and in this purpose, we see uh, an unfolding of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's goodness, of God's redemptive plan, because, as you know, very, very early on, it all appeared to go wrong. Adam and Eve sinned, and so there was the curse on the land. And so what we have then is what we call a progressive revelation through the Scriptures of this story unfolding where God is actually going to recover this original purpose, this original covenant made between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read your Old Testament, you need to read it from that perspective, that God has this plan that he will have a people. Now, there are some people today who seem to think, and I've even read it in one or two charismatic books, that God seems to change in the New Testament from the Old Testament. The Old Testament was about law. The New Testament is about grace. The Old Testament was about God's wrath, and the New Testament is about God's love. Now, I want to tell you that God does not change. He is the same God in the Old Testament as the New Testament. The difference is that we have the cross in the middle of it, and so we experience what God promises in the Old Testament through the cross. There is a saying that the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. And it is in the Old Testament that we get uh, many, many prophetic statements about God's plan and God's purpose for his church. The Old Testament points to the coming Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, and Jesus is in all, on almost every page of the Old Testament. But the plan is that this Redeemer, this Messiah, this Anointed One, would come in order that there would be a people who would fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And God's plan was not failure. We are not to be a people with a siege mentality, but we are to be a people who believe that God's prophetic purpose will be fulfilled in the earth before Jesus comes back. Now, we may think we're just a few people in a cinema, but God has got big plans for you. Amen? So I want to address myself to that. So the concept of the church in the Old Testament is there. The internal covenant, covenant between Father, Son, and Spirit is the promise we see in the in the book of Genesis, Eden, the place where God's glory was manifested to start with. Sin ruined it. But then what we have is this concept of the dwelling place of God, which goes right the way through the Old Testament, that there were visitations of God at various times where the plan unfolded gradually and purposefully, culminating in the coming 
of the Lord Jesus. So we need to understand that our history as a church is firmly rooted in God's eternal plan and purpose. Now, we are in a, a style of church life that we have tended to use the word restoration to describe. Over the last 30 or 40 years or so, what God has been doing has been restoring the church back to what we see in the book of Acts. But it goes now beyond the book of Acts, way back even further, to a much bigger kingdom perspective that the church is here not just so that we can look like they were in the book of Acts, but in order that the gospel of the kingdom might reach the ends of the earth. Now, we are part of that strategy. Yes, you sitting in your red seats, not very big in number yet, you are there part of an eternal divine strategy. And I want us to get caught up in that, to think big, think big vision, think of every seat being filled, Think of multiple meetings. Think of Derby being impacted by the gospel of Jesus. Think of the gospel of Jesus running absolutely wildly through the north of England, through this nation, and out into the other nations. And so when the Spirit of God began to move in the late 60s, early 70s, we began to see that some of the great prophecies of the Old Testament were not just related to the nation of Israel, but actually to the church. And we used to sing songs about it. The nation shall see you justified, and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall give. Anybody remember that one? You must do, Graham. <laughs> wow, we, we sung some great songs, prophecies of Isaiah. And people like Graham Kendrick, Dave Bilbra, myself, Chris Bowater, other guys who were just in their early 20s then, were writing songs about God's prophetic purpose for the church. And somehow God was moving in his church and many churches were being renewed in the spirit and uh, there was a, a kind of longing for revival. But the big R word that we were beginning to see was restoration. God is restoring his church. And it wasn't just about the Holy Spirit making our meetings a bit more interesting and with worship and with spiritual gifts and prophecies and so on. No, God had a bigger purpose than that. Even though all those things were wonderful, God had a purpose to restore his church that so through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the principalities and the powers and the gospel of the kingdom would reach every nation. And then Jesus would come back. And that's what we're caught up in. Now, these early disciples understood that in a way that we need to understand that because they had been beaten up, put in prison just for healing a man, the man at, at, at the gate. There were thousands of them meeting in Solomon's porch, which was a, a massive area of the temple, about 800 meters long and about 70 meters wide in its narrowest place. So the early church would gather in there. So there were all these people, and there was also this opposition coming against them. Now, nothing's changed. The church will always be opposed, and we'll say more about that in a moment. But the early church, having been opposed... What did they do? They didn't cower away. They didn't hide. They got themselves together and they began to pray. And what a prayer this was. So strong was this prayer that the building they were in shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, please don't think if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, that's it. These people were baptized in the Spirit. But here we are in Acts 4, being filled again with the Holy Spirit. You can go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Never settle for the one-off experience. And so they began to pray. 
Now, this prayer is a great pattern for how churches should pray. And their prayer is based on prophetic promise. So that's why I've had all that preamble about Genesis and the purposes of God through the Old Testament and the prophets speaking about it. And they begin to pray a great psalm. It's Psalm 2. Now, David, who wrote this psalm, was not only a king, he was a priest and he was a prophet. And he says this in the psalm. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they pray scripture. They pray what God has said. They recognized that what was happening to them in the opposition and the coming against them was actually prophesied, so they weren't phased by the problem. Now, just to say pastorally, never be phased by the problems of life because there is always an answer in the Word of God, whatever it is. And, you know, you can hang out for a prophetic word, and that's not wrong, but actually learn as a Christian to go back, what does God say in his word? And you will find that any prophetic word that comes will often confirm what God is saying in the Bible. Never make prophecy an excuse for not reading the Bible, okay? So read the Bible, be in it, study it. I'm, I, I set myself at the beginning of the year to read through the Bible in one go, and I finished it on April the 20th, and uh, I've started it again, just reading it straight through. It's not the only Bible study that I do, but I'm reading it right through like I would read a novel. And I would encourage you to do that, because what you, g you won't understand all of it. You'll get halfway through Leviticus, and you'll think, why am I doing this? But keep going, because you will find one or two gems that will nourish your spirit. And then you'll get into the great stories of David and Samuel and the prophets, and there'll be more that, that you'll understand. But the thing is, it's all given by God and all God breathed. So be a people of the word. So what do we see in this psalm? We see an opposition to God's purpose. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Uh, against the anointed and against his people. Now, history is full of opposition to God's work, even when God's work looks good. And that is going on today. It's very, very interesting, isn't it, that faith communities, social action is commended by councils, local councils, and governments. But as soon as you mention Jesus, they back off. And so there is a sense in which it's a bit like these, this time in Acts. This man at the beautiful gate was healed, and the Pharisees said, well, we can't deny the healing, but we can't stand the name of Jesus. And that's why they'd been imprisoned and beaten up, and that's why they had this prayer meeting. And it's true today that there is opposition to the gospel. Even though we might be getting credibility through the social action that we do, and that's great, and we must keep doing that. But if we leave Jesus out of the social action, all it becomes is secular do-goodism. As soon as we start to mention Jesus, there will be opposition. The great William Booth prophesied at the end of the 19th century. He said this, The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. How relevant is that to us today. So the gospel is opposed today by a pseudo-morality that ignores God and that ignores Jesus. 
And so we are in a similar state. Now, we may not be beaten up and put in prison, but there is an incredible psychological pressure that is coming against Christians. You see it in our education system particularly, with laws that are passed. I mean, the LGBT community seem to be holding all the trump cards at the moment. And it's time for the church to say, no, we will not have this. This is not what the Word of God declares. And there will be, as we declare those things, there will be opposition. And you know, I believe there will come a time when pastors will preach Romans 1 and could be arrested because of what they're preaching. Hello? That is the state this nation is in. So what do we do? Well, we get ourselves into our little ghettos and into our homes and we get our meetings together and we sing our worship songs and we lay hands on one another and we comfort and strengthen one another and hope it'll all be all right in the end. No, we don't. We get together and we say, Sovereign Lord, let the nations rage. Let the nations roar. Let the people come against us. We will declare that God has set his holy king on Zion. And this psalm goes on. They didn't quote it in the prayer, but it goes on to show the centrality of the Lord Jesus. It says in the psalm, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion's holy hill. Now, this phrase, that why did the nations rage, rage the Hebrew word for rage, it's a lo- lovely word there. It's like, you know, when you're watching Lord of the Rings or one of these great battles and you've got horses and uh, all the... Uh, all the, the, the armies are on their horses and the horses are there and they know something's about to happen and they're pouring the ground and they're tossing their heads and they're, they're, there's like a kind of turmoil. It's like waves, it's like wind, it's like uh, a kind of energy that's there. And it, it's a description really of the nations coming against God. Why do the nations rage? God sits in his heavens and laughs. He scorns it. Over 2,000 years of church history there have and secular history, there have been people who've tried to put down the gospel. But Jesus is alive and well. And he's alive and well in his church. So, what do we do about what's going on? I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely fed up to the back teeth with Brexit. I'm fed up to the arguing. I'm fed up with all the political views. It's like the nations are in a turmoil. There's nothing new. And this is not a political comment at all. And I guess in this room there will be lots of differences of opinions. And that's fine. What we should be doing is praying that unity will come back to this nation and praying that God's answer, and whatever the outcome This psalm is true. God has set his holy king on Zion. And you know, the significance of that is in the power of the glorification of the Lord Jesus. The psalm talks about the anointed one. The kingdoms are raging against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's his anointed? His anointed is Jesus. And Jesus is glorified. And he has been set on Zion's holy hill. What's that about? Well, it's Bible language for declaring the victory of the cross, of the the resurrection, and of the ascension. You know, another great psalm, Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? It's a reference, uh, a cross-reference there. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart is not lifted up his soul to vanity, is not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing of the Lord. And who is that? Well, it's none of us. None of us have got clean hands and a pure heart. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. He was the only one worthy to ascend 
to the hill of the Lord. And that's why the psalm says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift up your heads, you ancient doors. Fling wide the gates that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. And Jesus, having overcome all the powers of darkness, overcome Satan himself, triumphantly enters to enters heaven. The gates are flung wide. Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father. Here's the Father's well done, who says, well done, son. Pours out the coronation oil on his head, and that oil spills down onto some men and women in an upper room, and they get filled with the Spirit and start speaking in tongues and go out and preach. And Peter says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, he has sent forth this, which you both see and hear. The completed work of Christ at his ascension means that the Spirit has been poured out, the church is energized, God's King is seated in Zion, and we are caught up in that victory train, and we now ascend that hill with him, having had our hands and our hearts purified through his blood, cleansed and made whole and filled with the Spirit. And so we can do what the church did. We can start to pray. So prophetic promise, when we understand that, leads to powerful prayer. Now, powerful prayer is prayer that is energized by the Spirit. A prophetic promise leads to powerful prayer. There is no substitute for prayer, okay? But sometimes we do try and create our own substitute. Sometimes we put things in place instead of first seeking God. I love it that these apostles in Acts 4 and the people, the first thing they did, their first default place was pray. That's what we do first and foremost. Not form a committee, not form a discussion group, not form a seminar to discuss how we're going to do this. No, they got before God and they prayed. Now, we sometimes substitute other things for prayer. And one of the things that we do is that we depend on the flesh. Now, I'm going to illustrate this like this. Um, Rosie and I run ski trips every year. We've been doing it for some 40 years or so. And uh, now we are officially retired, although that is a joke. Um, we, we do take a little time in the winter to run ski trips. Now, skiing is a great, great sport. I've been skiing for nearly 50 years and um, can stay on my feet. But this year, I did have a rather nasty accident. Um, it wasn't my fault. My leg gave out and I was on a lift. And as I got off the lift, the lift hit me and it dislocated my shoulder. Um, it was very, very painful and it was very dramatic because they had to get the ski patrol to come up with their sledge and I was tied into this sledge and skied down this very steep mountain and it was very, very painful. And uh, I was taken into the, uh, into the health centre and two doctors put me on the medieval torture rack to get my shoulder back in place. Now, the interesting thing is when I came, came off the lift, um, I thought, that, first of all, thought I'd broken my arm. I couldn't move it. My two sons were on the lift with me, and that they were with me. And that, I think it was either that morning, and it was when I, you know, I said I was reading the Bible through. I was in the book of um, Second Chronicles. That morning, or just around that time, I'd read this scripture. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged before the king of Assyria and the vast army with him, for is a, there is a greater one with us than with him. With him is only an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So all I could think of, there was a hymn which has got the line, the arm of flesh will fail you. And all I could think of was, it was like me in terrible pain with my arm like this. 
All I could think of was this line from this hymn that I used to sing as a kid. The arm of flesh will fail you. And it, had certain, it was certainly failing me then. And then I did a bit of research on that song. The song is Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Do any of you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, there was a, a great preacher in the mid-1800s in America who was an Episcopalian preacher, and his name was D.A. Ting. He was a bit of a country guy um, and uh, not necessarily terribly well-educated, and the sophisticated Americans around the Kentucky area couldn't stand the fact that he was a guy who would preach the gospel passionately, and basically they kicked him out of his ministry. So he began to preach in the fields. And there was another guy by the name of George Duffield who was his kind of assistant. And George Duffield was a hymn writer, and they, they would work together. Well, one, one day, um, Ting, who was, who'd grown up on a farm, was working on, in a threshing machine, and actually he lost his arm. And uh, it, he was... Uh, um, taken um, into, I guess, the equivalent of a hospital, and uh, he was not going to live. And Duffield, his, uh, the, the hymn writer and his friend, was there, and Duffield said to Ting, um, knowing that Ting was dying, he said, have you got a word for the church? He said, yes, tell them to stand up for Jesus. And so Duffield went away and he wrote, up, wrote this hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, You Soldiers of the Cross. And then the second verse says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. So I did that research on, on, on that. And uh, I thought, yeah, okay, so... My shoulder has been knocked out, but God, if you're going to teach me something about not trusting in the flesh, I'll learn it. Now, I had had a previous skiing accident many years ago where my clavicle, which joins into the top of your arm, had come out and was like that. And I've, it's still out. And, and it's all right, I can move it about, it's fine. Um, as long as I can do a golf swing and um, ski and do all the things I love doing. Um, but um, when, um, when I was released from the physiotherapy for that, there was this rather large French lady doctor um, who said, you can go now, uh, you are okay now. So I said, well, is, is that it? Um, I've got this bone sticking out in my shoulder. And she said, why are you worried? You are not a model, are you? <laughs> I thought, you cheeky woman. <laughs> anyway, the interesting thing is that having had my shoulder dislocated and having to go into a sling for six weeks, when I took the sling off and I assumed a posture, that bone had gone back. Now, it's not back permanently, but um, I, I teach singing, playing the trumpet. I'm, I, as you probably know, I'm a musician and uh, I do vocal coaching and so on. And one of the things that I teach is how to assume a right posture. And if you play the trumpet or any wind instrument, you need to play from your diaphragm. If you're a singer, you don't sing from your throat. It's got not a lot to do with your throat. It's to do with your diaphragm and the way you control your tummy muscles and assuming a right posture. And actually, it's a good principle for living. A lot of people have back problems because they don't have a right posture. So, so when I assumed a right posture, that bone is in place. Strange. So if you felt that now, my bone is completely in, in place. If I slouch like this, it isn't. So anybody who calls me a freak is in trouble. Okay. Um, but seriously, and I felt God show me something about that that when we assume the posture of prayer as a church, the body is in place. And this is what he is after. He is after a praying people. So we are not to depend on the flesh 
you know, we, we can do all kinds of things other than pray. But God wants us to pray first. So we are not to be dependent on anything else. Now, how did they pray? Well, they prayed by all lifting up their voices together. A few years ago, and uh, I realised I'm like a train when I get going, I realise the time's going, I'll just finish with this. Many years ago, um, I'd, I'd written a song, The Lord Has Displayed His Glory, uh, your kingdom is coming in power. Now, it wasn't one of my better songs. It did get on an album, but it wasn't one of my greatest songs. And uh, it, I'd got the line, Hallelujah, let your kingdom come. Let the deaf hear, let the blind see, let the lame man leap like a deer. Which isn't amazing poetry. But it may be, it may be true, but it wasn't great poetry. Um, and I kind of dismissed the song, really. A few months after that had come out on an album, I had a phone call from a Korean pastor who said, um, I'm pastor in a church of 8,000 in Seoul in Korea, and we sing your song, The Lord Has Displayed His Glory. And I just want you to know that as we were singing it, what the word said happened. Deaf people were hearing, lame people were walking, blind people were seeing. Would you come to Korea and speak in the Olympic Stadium? So, will I come? <laughs> you bet I will. So, Rosie and I had the privilege of, of going and um, speaking at this uh, conference to 80,000 people. And it was actually my first experience of revival. It was incredible. 80,000 people crying to God. I mean, it was like being in a football match where a goal scored and everybody roars. But it would happen when, like, the worship team, who were absolutely amazing, brilliant musicians, they would be playing and singing, and it would be very quiet. And then suddenly, it was though, without anybody saying anything, a goal had been scored, and the whole 80,000 would erupt and the volume of worship and praise, and it was absolutely incredible. And at the end of one meeting, very late at night, the worship leader said to the worship team, you've had a very long day, it's been very tough, it's been very hard, you're all exhausted. We need to go to Prayer Mountain to pray, which was a 40-minute drive from the stadium. 11 o'clock at night they left to go and pray to get the strength to do the same thing the next day. I tell you, it made you feel you weren't saved. <laughs> and when we were there, it imparted something to me and, me and Rosie. It was in incredible. It was like the passion, everybody praying. It was like the book of Acts. And we, we saw amazing healings, deliverances, God just moving incredibly powerfully and I said to the Lord what is the difference between these Korean Christians and us in the West and God gave me one word and the word was fervency and I looked that up and I saw that fervency is something that God gives us but it's something that we create in ourselves so it's God gives that makes us fervent but also we can stir ourselves to be fervent. And that is what I believe God is looking for in his church, a dependence on prayer to cry out to him fervently and passionately as the first resort, not the last, the first resort, before we evangelize, before we do anything, before we do social action, to really be crying out to God, God, pour out your spirit. And we will need to be doing that more and more as the gospel is being more and more opposed in our nation. Now, if I have imparted nothing else to you over this weekend, let me impart to you, be a people who are fervent in prayer. Now, how did they do it? They all prayed together passionately. 
So the application of this word this morning is we are all going to pray fervently and passionately together. So I'd like the band to come up, please. We won't sing the song. We'll just make a joyful noise, okay? So just give us a, a good diatonic chord, and we'll have lots of drums. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I'd like us to stand. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to get the musicians just to make a joyful noise, okay? Lots of noise. Drums, guitar, put as much distort as you like on it. <laughs> I bet you've never had a preacher say that to you oh, before. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a whole... <laughs> okay. But what we are going to do is we are going to lift our voices and we are going to cry to God for revival in our land. Yeah? There's no other hope for us, really. We can build the church, and that's good, but without a move of God's Spirit to come and bless what we're doing. See, the early church, they put community and uh, signs and wonders and all of those other things they had in place, community, giving, worship. It was all there. You can read it in those early chapters of Acts. But it wasn't until they really cried out to God with passion that there was the breakthrough. And it was after this point that the evangelistic breakthrough came. Now, I know T is a prayer. <laughs> T, I want you to go for it. Okay? You just go for it. It was great to have T with us in Brighton for a year. She was a great blessing to us. And I know, we, we, T, we miss your praying. Okay, so go. <laughs> no, she needs to be here and doing it here as well, which I'm sure she is. So, come on, I'm going to count to three. Now, don't you dare leave me doing this on my own. Because I'm, I'm going to... It's going to be louder than the Derby fans were last Wednesday. Okay? Okay, louder than that. Okay, just go for it. And what, what do you pray? God, send revival. Send your spirit. Send holiness. Bless this nation. Flood our church with your spirit. Fill these seats. <coughs> Help us to reach out in evangelism and see people saved. Whatever, whatever's on your heart, cry it out. Shout it out. Go for it. And don't stop. Don't stop. Okay. Come on, let's go. Ready? One, two, three. God, we want to cry out to you. conclude this morning. That's great. You keep doing that. As we conclude that, I just want, I want to say that um, I've got to rush away from this meeting.
because I'm doing a meeting tonight in Ford Prison. So I've got to get back in time to take a team into Ford Prison where God is doing something. There are guys getting saved in, in prison. There are lifers in there. And, um, and so, um, first of all, I, I, I want to pray that the uh, M1 and the M25 is clear so I get back. Um, but can we just lift up our voices and pray for that team going into Ford Prison tonight that God will break in and we're going to be preaching the gospel. I'm going to be leading some worship. And uh, yeah, we're just going to see what, what God does. So come on, let's have a burst. God, touch these prisoners. Father, we want to pray right across this nation that your spirit will move. Lord, we thank you for the work that you are doing in, in prisons. Lord, where Alpha courses are starting. Lord, we want to pray, Lord, for our government with crucial voting going on in the next few days. Lord, we want to pray where there is fracture that you will bring healing. Lord, we know you're sovereign. We know, Lord, that there is great wickedness but we also know that there are many in Parliament who do love you and honour you and uh, Lord on all political persuasions and uh, Lord we don't know what the answer is but you're sovereign you rule and Lord I want to pray for your church in this nation we pray for those who lead Lord I want to lift up uh, things like Devoted and Spring Harvest and uh, other big festivals uh, New Wine Lord, where thousands of Christians are gathering, we especially want to pray for devoted this year, Lord, that you'll do something great there. Lord, I pray for this church here in Derby. Lord, make it strong. I pray double it, Lord, double it more quickly than they could realize. God, I want to pray for it. I pray for Graham and the eldership. I pray, Lord, for Lord the small groups. I pray for the worship team. I pray for the children, so we've heard this morning. Lord, flood this church with your spirit. Lord, let it move forward. Let it press on in you. Let it become a people of passionate, fervent prayer, reaching out into this lost world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. That's it. Dave, good to have you and Rosie with us this weekend. Thank you for being with us. We'll pray for your travels back south. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.